Welcome to the Time for the Good News podcast, the place where you'll hear nothing but good news. We are your hosts, Susan and Dan Grandfield. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 2. And this is an interesting one for us because we're communicating over Zoom, uh, mainly because I'm 500 miles away from where Susan is on the south coast of England. Um, so this should be interesting. Yeah. There's a song in that, isn't there? About 500 miles. <laughs> <Proclaimed> <laughs> Yeah, so I'm sitting here in Creef and you're in just outside Fareham near Southampton. Um, so yeah, you're working down there just now, maybe to, to just let That's people it. know that I'm we're not, not... run away. Yeah, you've not run away. Um, so yeah, so this is going to be interesting. Um, and we haven't done this over Zoom before, um, so be interested to hear what the audio quality is like. We've also taken feedback from some of our listeners and we really welcome people's feedback that sometimes the audio hasn't been always that great. So we have upgraded our microphone situation. So we shall see, we're still learning, but hopefully this is better for us. So should we get started then? Do you want to- Let's go. Yeah, do you want to kick off with your first story then, Dan? Definitely, so it's a cute one. So red squirrels, you know, a lot of people associate them with Scotland, but they are in other parts of the world as well. But um, a project with the aim of securing the future of red squirrels across Scotland is to be extended for another two years, which is fantastic news for the mm. cute little uh, tufted red creatures. Yeah. So the Scottish Wildlife Trust um, has said that they've received £1.1 million of funding to continue the project on, until March 2024. Now, as, as myself and you know, grey squirrels are the biggest threat. Mm. Um, they compete with reds for, for food and space and can carry a type of squirrel pox, which is also deadly to reds. And as we know, grey squirrels are not indigenous species to to the UK, they're imported. So this is mainly in southern Scotland, as the populations uh, are healthier in the north, because it's not quite as populated and there's more wilder areas for them to live in. Um, But the project manager, Dr Mel Tonkin, Mm. kind of nature boffin, (laughs) states this helps the um, scheme recover from the effects of the, the pandemic. Um, which is fantastic. Now, as you know, we've seen quite a few red squirrels yeah. where we live in Creef. Um, so it's great to hear they're supporting the populations down south. Mm. And also the interesting thing for me, you know, like in wildlife and creatures, was there was another project that I can't find the information for, which is about the reintroduction of pine martins. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, another rare Scottish creature. And that's because red squirrels have a genetic sense of, where, of when pine martins are around. Oh, really? Um, yeah, but grey squirrels don't. Ah. So the most effective way of naturally getting rid of grey squirrels is pine martins. But unfortunately, mm. pine martins mm. are also very rare mm. and very elusive as well. So, you know, I'm interested to find for the next one. I'll see if I can find some more about that one. But, yeah, mm. great stuff to hear the, the red squirrels getting uh, the support they need. Yeah. I remember when, when we were all in lockdown at first and we would go out walking because it was the one thing that you could do. We saw so many more red squirrels, didn't we? And I think just because there weren't so many people around and and they maybe felt safer. I think a lot's got to do with traffic noise. Yeah. Uh, Remember, we used to see them in in Trona Wood and now we don't see them very much and there's a road quite nearby. Mm. So I think it's maybe traffic noise has a lot to do with it as well. Yeah, yeah, it could be. Cool. I will look forward to future updates about the red squirrels. Absolutely. All right. Well, I'll kick off with my, um, my first story and... The medical and scientific listeners amongst you may already know some of this, but for me, this, um, 
yeah, was was quite amazing. The the amount of um, research that's going on around creating a cure for HIV. Yeah. Now, as as kids that grew up in the eighties, I guess we have memories of those first years when HIV was discovered and it was it was labelled as as such, and then the devastation it caused so many people's lives for you know many years after that. Then in the 90s, the anti-retrovirus therapy, which was a real game changer in terms of people's life expectancy. Um, Now it's kind of the the, the evolution of of treatment for HIV has moved to the next level where there are human um, clinical trials going on across the world. The one I came across was in the USA, but across the world to find a functional cure um, which basically means people would be cured of the HIV virus. Um, now, this is the scientific medical bit that I'm sure some of our listeners could be, you know, describe more um, articulately than me. But as I understand it, it's based around the treatment or that the cure is based around modifying the human DNA. Okay, so wow. modifying human DNA. So basically cutting out a piece of the HIV genome to render it incapable of mutating inside the body. Oh, wow, that's interesting. And and so not only is this potentially a, a cure for HIV, it has fantastic potential for lots of other diseases as well. Um, and the, the functional cure means that there would still be a small amount of the HIV genome in the body, but not enough for it to be detected um, and to, um, to to mean the person was positive and, and experiencing symptoms. So it's, it's like a one-time treatment. So anti, oh, okay. anti-retroviral yeah. therapy is, is an ongoing thing. And so one of the companies that's doing the human trials um, is a name that many of us are more familiar with now, which is Moderna, one of the companies that came up with oh, yeah, the okay. COVID vaccines. Yeah. So, yeah, They're based so, in Europe, is it? Pardon me? They're based in Europe. I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. So there's been a lot of celebrities affected by it as well, hasn't there? So, you know, Freddie Mercury's example, yeah. I think he died at 45 years old. And there's been a lot of dramas on the TV based around the fear that there was around the HIV virus and AIDS um, back in the 80s. Mm. Um, I mean, I've heard of them being able to get the viral load down with mm. AZT or its modern equivalent, but I've never heard of an actual one-time yeah. cure. Yeah. So that's brilliant news, fantastic yeah, stuff. Because yeah. it is, as you've said, still in Africa, it's still a major problem, isn't it? So. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So... That's my first story. All right, good stuff. So I'm back to fusion, one of my favourite subjects. Everyone's going, oh, not fusion again. But this is really exciting. But it's difficult to make it sound exciting, but I'll explain why in a minute. So a record was achieved at the Joint European TOMS, or JET facility in Oxfordshire, like that, (laughs) Uh, after work by engineers and scientists from the Eurofusion Consortium. They managed to produce... 59 megajoules of energy for five seconds on December the 21st. Now, 59 megajoules isn't actually that much. It's like boiling 60 kettles. Right. So he said, well, before you've told us stories about the power of the sun and all Mm. this type of stuff, but it's the time they were able to do it for. So the five seconds, those previous ones I've talked about have been split second reactions. Okay. So this is five seconds. Now, if you think about that compared to a split second, five seconds in the Olympics is a very long time. So they were able to do this for five seconds. And Tony Dom, program manager at Eurofusion, said that if we can do it for five minutes, 
five seconds, sorry, we can do it for five minutes and then we can go on to do it for five hours. Um, he's obviously some kind of energy boffin. So he also says that fusion promises, again, near limitless green energy, you know, electricity source for long term, using small amounts of fuel that can be sourced worldwide from inexpensive materials. So the last record was set in 97 and it was half the amount of energy um, so they've doubled the amount of energy and they've managed to do it for five seconds. Um, so fusion gradually claws closer and closer, I think, to be a real um, solution in yeah. the future for, for clean energy. Mm-hmm. It's amazing, isn't it? Um, it's almost like once once a breakthrough happens, it kind of accelerates you know, so that thing yeah. of going from a split second to five seconds, as you said, is is yeah. a big margin. Yeah. So it, it's just kind of overcoming that first whatever the hurdle is, and then wow, the possibilities become. Yeah, amazing. I think the big the biggest aim at the moment is net to gain. <clears throat> so at the moment, they're putting a lot of energy in to get this energy out. Ah, so the yeah, idea is to improve yeah. the net gain and mm. start to eke up the energy produced compared to the energy put in to create the reaction. Yeah. Uh, and I think I've wrongly quoted the byproduct as hydrogen before. It's actually helium, um, which is inert and non-toxic as well. Yeah, yeah. And makes your voice go funny when you breathe it. <laughs> Have you ever done that, Dan? Yeah, many times. <laughs> I had access to helium for Christmas party nights, blowing balloons up through my hotel career. <laughs> Maybe we'll do the next podcast with <laughs> You have to breathe in a lot of helium to do that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. All righty, brilliant. Um, so I will come in with my next story, which is about ancient trees. Um, now, I love trees. I, I think trees are amazing. And we have this huge, beautiful um, copper beech tree in our garden. And when I came across this story, um, a few things about it resonated with me. So new research has found that ancient trees provide much more to their surroundings than just that awe-inspiring presence. Um, They actually help the tree population around them to adapt to what is an increasingly changing, uh, changeable environment. Um, So they they actually change the overall genetic diversity of the surrounding populations. So as, as I kind of understood it from what I read, ancient trees, and we're talking trees that have been around for hundreds, maybe thousands of years, have already been through, they've developed a kind of resilience. They've they've already been through huge amounts of environmental change. And so they are able to contribute to the evolutionary pro- prospects, uh, properties rather, of the forest around them. So it's really about, it's really about biodiversity. Um, and I think this is interesting because for, for many years now, we general public have felt that planting trees is a good thing to do. You know, we can offset our carbon footprint by planting trees. And yes, but what this research is saying is that's not enough. And and we know it's not enough because from a biodiversity point of view, it's it's about the ecosystem that these trees are part of. And the research is suggesting they contribute so much more than we thought. They sequester um, a disproportionate amount of O2, uh, CO2 rather, compared to what you might call mature trees. So they, oh, interesting. yeah, so they they really contribute a huge amount um, to the biodiversity. So it's really about protecting the intact forests 
um, that that we have around our you know our, our countries around the world to allow those ancient trees to to keep fulfilling this really important role that that they play. Yeah, I mean it's quite interesting if you think about it. We do a lot of land management, especially in this country. So you, you quite often you know encouraged to cut a tree down because it's looking a bit creaky or a bit dangerous and stuff like that. And actually, if it was in the middle of nowhere, is there actually the need for that? Mm. Now, you, we, do you remember when we visited the Fortingal U? Yeah. The tree in Fortingal, which is apparently 8,000 years old, and could potentially be the oldest living thing on the planet. The interesting thing, though, was it didn't look like a singular tree, did it? It looked like mm. it morphed into a kind of a, almost like an elaborate hedge. Yeah. Um, but that's a tree that's been protected and lauded and left to do its thing, although it did have metal railings around it. So I wonder if they've limited its uh, uh, its growth, if you know what I mean. Mm. I mean, I know I read about this thing where trees communicate with fungus underneath the micellar in the, in the soil. I mean, that just tells you straight away that there's, there's other things going on. Yeah. And the huge amount of energy that trees, natural energy trees must consume to grow to the size they do. Yeah. You know, that's incredible. Yeah. Uh, and you know what this is saying is that what they then contribute back as well so they're such an important part and it makes me think about when we had our tree cut recently why yeah. there was there was so much rigmarole to go through <laughs> yeah. and the guy from the council that came out um you know i i, I get what his role is even more so now uh yeah. that it, it's not just about um protecting trees it's about protecting the whole biodiversity yeah. uh, as yeah. well I mean, just for our listeners, we, we have to get the tree trimmed because it hangs over a road and other people's properties and things like that. Otherwise, I think we'd probably just leave it. But yeah. it's, a, it's a giant tree in, in a relatively small front garden, isn't yeah. it? So we do have to control it. It is, yeah. Mm. Okay, yeah, so, yeah, so now remember, we had the eye chat. Yes. About the eye you mentioned in the last story. And we, I was a bit confused. I thought it was some amazing eye that you were talking you were, about you were underwhelmed by my oh, story <laughs> well, actually no it was a good story because it was a comfortable way of providing a more genuine fake eye for someone who's had to have an eye removed or mm. does has born been born without an eye in the socket so however i saw this article about a bionic eye right so um an 88 year old woman in the uk uh, has benefited from a groundbreaking bionic eye implant that has enabled her to detect visual signals after going blind. Oh, really? So she, suf- she suffered from dry AMD, uh, age-related macular degeneration, and has a thing called ge- geographic atrophy. So she was blind. Uh, and this caused blindness, and apparently it causes blindness in millions of people all, all around the world. Mm. So a chip was planted behind her left eye and high-tech camera glasses she was given to wear capture the scene in front of her before relaying the data to the implant that sends an electrical signal to the brain, just like natural vision. My I mean, it's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible, you know. And obviously, when they say visual signals, she can't see like she used to. You know, this is a clinical trial of the system. Mm. So she received the... Um, Pixma system device, which was developed in France and had it implement, implanted at Moorfields Eye Hospital in London mm-hmm. as part of the Europe-wide clinical trial, backed by the National Institute of Health Biomedical Research Centre at Moorfields, off in Central, by the sounds of it, <laughs> uh, and the UCL Institute of Ophthalmology. 
Now, Malin Muke, who's the consultant vitreo-retinal surgeon, I mean, he's the biggest buffin I've probably talked about on the podcast so far, at Moorfield said that, you know, this operation and the evidence gathered shows the true potential of this device and how it can go on to give blind people sight. I mean, it's incredible. That is amazing. Uh, and it's interesting because I, I actually, if you remember when I worked for Z Hotels, Moorfield's Eye Hospital from Old Street Tube Station, which is the nearest tube station to Moorfield's, there's a big green line mm. which is textured that goes all the way from the tube station to the hospital mm. to help people navigate who've got to your restricted vision and things like that. So, you know, a really incredible place. But, you know, we're getting to the point now where a blind person can almost see again. She has seen, but it's the quality of what she's seeing, I suppose, is, is the question. Yeah. And I suppose you need to use people who've lost their sight because they know what vision is. Yes. Whereas someone who was naturally, who was born blind, unfortunately, has not had the gift of sight and not been able to see, so might not be able to tell, Yeah. Uh, you know, the... Mm. Um, Thanks. So incredible. I mean, that your eye stories, you know, led me to find this incredible story about bionic eyes. Yeah. I mean, the glasses do make the lady look a bit like Robocop, to be honest. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's a step forward. Well, again, it's that it's that breakthrough, you know, that we're talking about is you overcome what was an issue or a problem or a, a barrier um, yeah. in terms of scientific and, and medical um, procedures. And, and who knows what's possible next? People yeah, might be, absolutely. you know, growing back their arms before we know it. I mean, yeah. That'd be interesting to see. It not growing back their arms. But arm. yeah, who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Hmm. All right, I'm going to finish off with this story, um, which the, the hashtag is do something for nothing. So Joshua Coombs um, is a London-based uh, hairdresser. And in 2015, he started offering free haircuts to homeless people in London. Now, you might think, well, okay, that's really nice, but but so what? Um, but the so what is kind of what that has started in terms of a movement towards um, people helping to overcome some of the, the massive challenges that we face in society, like homelessness and poverty and inequality and, you know, climate change and all of these things. But to do it not just in a financial way, but to do it by taking their own skills and offering them their skills and their time and offering them to others. So that's the kind of broad message, really, of this uh, story. So what Joshua Coombs did was he would go and take hair. Uh, he would go and give people haircuts. He'd take photos before and after, and he started posting them on social media. I think he was particularly prolific on Instagram. And not just, he wasn't just posting the photos, he was also posting a story about the person. So a story about the person behind um, the, the photos. And it kind of took off and created a bit of a movement. So there's an, a Netflix documentary that Morgan Freeman narrates, and it's called The Story of Us. And it's it's a beautiful documentary, and it's based around Joshua Coombs and, and follows... Mm, cool kind of some of the, the people that he has um, offered these haircuts to. And, and he talks about doing something small to help us each deal with this overwhelming, you know, set of challenges that, that we, we face. And so when I was reading into this, the, the I guess the inspiration that he's been to other people is um, there's someone called Jade Stat, I think, who founded Street Vet, which is a free vet care service 
to the pets of people who live on the streets. So you know how you see homeless oh, people cool, yeah. dogs Brilliant. very often? Yeah, absolutely. So a free vet service. Very expensive vets as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, Kevin McClellan, who apparently was a former Rangers football club physio, offers free back pain consultations to NHS workers. Which, nice. you know, again, using your time and your skills to, to help other people. Um, and, I, and I think the thing that, that kind of really sort of struck me about this, there was a, in, in the, the piece that I was reading, there was someone called um, Levine who lives in London, who Coombs um, met a couple of years ago, cut her hair. She was living on the street. She's now two years on, housed. She works in a cafe and she's feeling great. No, it's not a direct causal effect that his haircut resulted in that. Might have some effects, yeah. Yeah, it did something, self-esteem or whatever it might be. Yeah, absolutely. So I just, as as our regular listeners will know, I love the sort of what I call human interest stories. And for me, that's really what we need more of, is people doing what they can to help other people. Um, You don't have to be a boffin, but the boffins are doing amazing stuff as well. Yeah, the buffins truly are doing some amazing stuff. And but you know, for a guy who's a, a barber or hairdresser, yeah. that's equally as amazing. You know, yeah. to give give his time and to give people that. Uh, um, I, I can't imagine what it's like to live on the streets, but just having someone care for something on you for twenty minutes, twenty five yeah. minutes, must be a, a really great experience. Yeah, the, the the documentary, and I'll post a link on our Facebook page, um, and and maybe on our website as well. It, it showed you, and I forget the man's name now, but he, you know, the sort of classic homeless look to him. He hadn't had his hair cut or his beard cut for, you know, a year, two years. And when they gave him the mirror to look at himself, clean shaven, haircut, it, it's really emotional, actually. Really emotional. It's mm. like, he, mm. I think he described it as he, he, he remembered who he was. Yeah, um, recognised himself from the past. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, mm. so. Great stuff. Okay, so I think we'll we'll leave it there. Um, and just as a reminder to everyone, we've got a Facebook page, which is Susan and Dan's podcast. But we've also got our website uh, where people are... on the are World Wide Web. On the World Wide Web. So timeforthegoodnews.co.uk. If you, if you go to the website, you can um, listen to or download our latest episode, um, see our featured um, story of the month. Uh, so I'm not sure which one it's going to be this month, but we'll, we'll work that out. And more importantly, you can subscribe, which means you don't need to wait for your podcast provider to remind you or to let you know there's a new episode. Um, You can, yeah, you'll get it dropped straight into your email, into your inbox. So please do subscribe um, and share with your friends as well. And any feedback on the quality of the audio as well. be greatly received. Yeah, we are learning. We are learning. So, um, okay, thank you for listening and we'll see you again next time. Bye for now. (laughs) 